This message comes to you from BCC, a missional, vibrant and life-bringing church in the heart of our community. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Uh, last week, uh, Mark started off his, um, his message by reading out some letters uh, that he'd found, letters that children had written to God. And, and I thought, well, that's just great, but today I want to raise the spiritual bar a little bit, and I want to read you some letters that people have written to Father Christmas, <laughs> all right, which I quite liked. Okay, so we've got three letters here. Uh, the first one says, Dear Santa, can you please get me a camera this year because... I want one. <laughs> it sounds like a good enough reason to me. There we go. And next one, dear Santa, I wanted to tell you I am fine. I don't know, if, but if you can, could you possibly make it so I can turn into a dragon, please? Or if I could have a pet dragon. Either one will do, although I would like it if you can make me turn into a dragon. <laughs> Lots of love, Penny. P.S. Have a happy Valentine's Day. I'm not quite sure. A little bit confused child there. The next one is actually, I think it's more of a grown-up one um, that maybe you can relate to. Dear Santa, this year, please give me a big fat bank account and a slim body. <laughs> and please don't mix those two up like you did last year. <laughs> yeah, I could certainly relate to that. Um, so we're in this series. We're in a series called Believe. This is our third week. Mark has spoken the last two weeks on various aspects of belief uh, from the book of Exodus. Um, but I wanted to start off by uh, getting a definition. So I found a dictionary definition of the word believe, which we're just going to pull up right now. It says, uh, to receive information into one's mind, accept it as being true, and have enough confidence in it to act, act or be willing to act on it. So it's not just about... Uh, believing something in your mind, it should lead to an action or a, a desire or, or a willingness to act on it. That's what uh, the word believe, um, and certainly the dictionary that I looked at, uh, uh, says. Um, and now in the Bible, there are various uh, words that are, you know, believe obviously we know is in Scripture a lot, but also the words faith and the word hope and the word trust. Actually, all those words come from the same Greek word, which is pisteo. And um, they have similar meaning and are at times, not always, but they are at times interchangeable in Scripture. Now this time of year, uh, Christmas period, this uh, festive season, there's definitely stuff that we are believing. Um, I'm sure all of you hopefully have bought gifts for people, yeah? Uh, maybe you haven't. Um, I hope you have. Uh, you bought gifts for people and you're excited about those gifts. Um, and you're looking forward to it and you believe that when you give the gift, that person is going to be happy yeah, to receive the gift. Hopefully, you won't be disappointed uh, in that belief, but you believe that they're going to be happy. I know in the past, um, uh, Fru, my wife, she has uh, her birthday a week before Christmas. It was her birthday this, this last week. And, and in the past, I've got so excited that I've, I've bought gifts for her, and I've got a pile of birthday presents, and I've got a pile of Christmas presents, and I kind of, kind of wrap them all and then a day before her birthday, I just go, no, I just want to give the whole lot on her birthday. I get too excited and I want to give them early. You kind of relate to that, don't you, Dave? You kind of do that too. Uh, to your, not to Fru, but to Josie. <laughs> that would be weird, right? Um, but yeah, we get excited about the gifts that we've bought 
for our loved ones, for our kids and our family, and we believe that they're going to like them when they open them. And uh, maybe you believe that this year, your Christmas Day will be perfect. Maybe, maybe you've got a great dinner planned and you believe it's going to really uh, be the perfect occasion and your children are going to be well behaved and eat all their sprouts. Maybe that's what you believe today. You might be disappointed. Um, what about the presents you're going to get? Maybe you have written a list. Maybe you've got a big long list of presents and you believe that you're going to get all those presents on your list. Again, you might be disappointed. That's why I'm telling my children. Anyway, um, there's, a, there's a film that we like to watch uh, over Christmas. We watch it every year. Uh, it's a film called Polar Express. And Fru's already put the date in the calendar. We're going to watch it Christmas Eve this year. She gets very excited about watching it. And in this film, in Polar Express, there's a young boy who has, is starting to lose his belief, belief in Father Christmas. And throughout the course of the film, he, he begins to believe again. And the truth is that believing, believing in something or for something is not just a, a Christian or a religious idea, a concept. Okay? Everybody believes in something. You know, believes things are going to happen or believes things aren't going to happen. And um, sometimes those beliefs happen and you know, that, that works, but oftentimes it doesn't happen quite in the way we expect and, and we get disappointed. Um, most of us have an idea of how our lives are going to pan out. We have got this concept, okay, well, you know, first I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. And, you know, we kind of map the road out ahead of us. We like things to be ordered and orderly. And, you know, for our children as well, we believe um, that, okay, well, they're, they're going to go to school, they're going to get good grades. And we believe that with those grades, they're going to get into a good university, maybe. Or from that, you know, maybe we really believe they're going to get a good job. And we believe that they're going to find a great husband or a great wife. And we believe they're going to have kids. And they're going to, this job is going to mean that uh, in our old age, they're going to be able to look after us. Um, that's what I'm telling my kids as well. Um, we like to have things ordered. We like things mapped out. We like to be certain about where our life is heading. And the main character from my text today felt exactly the same, I'm sure. I mean, she's, she's one of my heroes, actually, in the Bible. It's, it's Mary, a young girl, a teenager. And I'm sure she had an idea of how her life was going to pan out. She was expecting to get married. We read right at the very start that she was engaged to a man called Joseph. And I'm sure she was expecting, obviously, to get married, to have children. She was expecting to run a home, to look after the kids and her husband and run this great home. I'm sure she was expecting that... Um, uh, every week she would end up going to the synagogue and every year she would do the right thing at Passover and go to Jerusalem, to the temple. Um, she kind of had these plans mapped out for her. But then God stepped in and things changed. And that happens a lot, don't you find? We have our plans, but then God steps in and things change. Now I know on this Sunday... Before Christmas, we would kind of expect to get the Christmas story, and we are going to get the Christmas story uh, this morning. I'm going to look at part of the nativity from the book of Luke. Um, but I want us to be aware of uh, the danger of this story, in that we be, we're so familiar with it. We all know the story so well. I want us to really listen and really pay attention and, and ask God to speak to us new truths this morning. My title for today's, today's message is... Uh, believe 
that God has a plan for you. Believe that God has a plan for you. So as you're listening to the text, I've been reading through this narrative. I want you to uh, listen to it with that in your mind. Believe that God has got a plan for us. Okay, so first of all then, I want us to imagine that we are uh, someone living in the first century AD. Okay, we're living around the time that Jesus has been alive. And we've heard all sorts of things about this man, Jesus. We've been taught things, we've heard things on the grapevine, friends have told us, other people have told us about who this man was. But we have doubts. We kind of believe, but we also we want to believe with more certainty. We have a few doubts about him, but what do we do? Okay, we, 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 we've heard about this man, and we kind of believe, but we've got some doubts. So we make a decision. We say, well, I've got my, this friend of mine, a guy called uh, Luke, who's a doctor, and he's Luke who wrote the gospel. And we say to Luke, Luke, I know that you're a thorough man. I know that you are really, really good at collecting information, and also you're, you're really good at organising facts. And what I want you to do is I want you to research about this man, Jesus. I want you to do the research and separate all the hard facts from all the things that's dross that I don't need to hear about. Okay? I want, so, so I can believe with certainty. And, and in a way, this is, this is my take on, what, on why the Gospel of Luke was written. Um, a guy called Theophilus um, was, uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke for Theophilus, and he also wrote the book of Acts as well, again, for this man Theophilus, who may have been some kind of patron, some kind of rich guy who commissioned Luke to do this work for him. But what we, what we do is we hear and we read right at the very beginning of Luke, um, kind of Luke's reasons for undertaking to write the gospel. So let's start at Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. He says this, Many have undertaken to draw up, draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So first of all, he's saying all these things about Jesus, they've been fulfilled among us. They've been fulfilled while we've been alive. Okay? And, and lots of people have written about them. All right? So there's our starting point. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So again, Luke is saying, well, I've done, I've done a bit of research. I've been speaking to eyewitnesses, people who were with Jesus and saw the things that he did. He probably spoke to the apostles, almost certainly. He probably spoke to Mary as well, to get the hard facts, to get the truth of what was going on um, uh, from the horse's mouth, as it were. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught, so that you can be certain, so that you can believe everything that I'm about to tell you you can take this to the bank. I've investigated it fully. You can believe it. You can believe it with certainty. And it's not, what it isn't is, and I think this is what often happens, particularly with the Christmas story, we see the kids' nativity shows, and it almost seems like a fairy story. Okay, you almost think, okay, it's like once upon a time or long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Okay, but that's not what the Gospel of Luke starts. It starts with a pretty rock-solid, um, thoroughly investigated um, kind of documentary style uh, concept. Okay, so let's move on to our nativity narrative for today then. So a few verses later, we find Mary. Uh, she's a teenager. She's living in Nazareth. She's living with her parents. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. And she has got her life planned out. 
She's got her life mapped out in front of her. She's, she knows pretty much what she's expecting to happen. Probably the same thing that happened to her own mother and her mother and, and, so, and so on and so forth. So, verse 26, God interrupts. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. What I want us to do right now is just stop for a moment and try and grasp the enormity of what has just been said. We're at the start of what we now call the New Testament. We know that the Bible is divided up into two sections. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. And I'm sure that most of us also know that the New Testament doesn't follow on directly from the Old Testament. There's a gap between them. Okay, so Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, written by the prophet Malachi, is about 400 years before the Gospels are written at the start of the New Testament. So there's this this long, uh, few hundred year gap where, to all intents and purposes, it seems that God is silent. And in fact, scholars actually call that period between the the two sections of the Bible the silent years. They call it the silent years where there's nothing written to indicate that God has been speaking to them, giving, you know, uh, no more prophecies are made during this time, there's no narrative from this time, there's no historical, uh, there's a few historical records, but not in the Bible. Um, so it just seems that God is silent at this time. Um, and for, for, for the kingdom of Israel, it's a pretty dreadful time. It's quite barren. This is a period in their history when uh, they have been occupied by various kingdoms. Uh, and so in some cases exiled as well. So we know that the Babylonian kingdom, first of all, came and, and over, overthrew Israel and Judah. And then uh, from the Babylonians, we come to the Medes and the Persian kingdom. Now, the Persian kingdom lasted uh, about 300 years. So it was a long, long time. And then from there, we had uh, Alexander the Great and the, Greek, uh, the Greeks. Um, but when Alexander the Great died... Um, uh, the Romans kind of then stepped in and, and we're in this period when the Romans are in control and they're the occupying force in Palestine. So it's been pretty dreadful for Israel having heard nothing from God. All they have is an expectation that God will at some point do something and uh, kind of bring about the, the uh, return of the kingdom of Israel. Paul, writing to the Galatians, Uh, uh, Galatians 4 verse 4 says this, when the right time came, or at the appointed time, God sent his son, born of a woman. At the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman. So, if we imagine, I want to picture the Old Testament as being like the first act of a play. Okay, and what's happened is we come to the end of the first act and we know the curtains close. And the audience is there looking at the curtains and it appears like nothing is happening. All you can see is the curtains. Whereas we know uh, that behind the curtain, there's all sorts of things going on. The stage crew are on the stage. They're moving props. They're changing the set. They're changing the costumes. There's all sorts of changes happening behind the curtain, behind the scenes. Lots of things going on, waiting for the second act to start. And this is kind of what happens between the Old and the New Testament. God is doing something. He's preparing the way. It's not that there's nothing happening. It's just that uh, he's getting ready for the new act to start. And it's all happening, if you like, behind a curtain. So the curtain opens 
and suddenly everything looks new. So God sends an angel to this Virgin Mary. And this is loaded so God suddenly is no longer silent. There's an expectation. The curtain is opening. The lights are fading up. The orchestra is about to start. There's a new thing about to happen. In verse 28, we read, The angel went to her, went to Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. You who are highly favoured. We're going to come back to that shortly. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Of course, she was troubled. As far as she knew, God hadn't directly spoken to anyone for 400 years. Mary had her life plan mapped out. And having a visit from an angel, from God, was probably not part of that plan. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. There's that word favour again. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. But everyone knows that kingdoms always come to an end. History tells us that. History would have tell, told Mary that kingdoms always come to an end. They expected the Babylonian Empire, the Babylonian kingdom to last forever, and it didn't. The Persians, although it went on for so long, they expected it to last forever, but it didn't. The Greeks, uh, and Alexander the Great, he conquered most of the known world. But when he died, his kingdom was broken up. It didn't last. And now they're occupied by Romans. There's this Roman kingdom going on. And although it doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon, there's going to be an expectation. Kingdoms always end. And here's the angel saying, this son who's going to be born to you, he will have a kingdom. It's never going to end. But Mary, she's not really thinking about that. Okay? She's like, whoa, back up a bit here, uh, buddy. Um, uh, you're talking about thrones and descendants, but actually, what did you say first? What was that first thing you said? Something about giving birth? Uh, it's like, and I shared this analogy in the first service, it's like when your kids come home from school and they try and hide information in a lot of other information. <laughs> We've all done that, right? So you say, oh, how was your day, kids? Oh, it was fine. I, I had maths and English. I did well. I had a detention. I played football at lunchtime. <laughs> and I uh, then helped the teacher out with some artwork. And you go, whoa, stop, stop right there. You had a detention? <laughs> I, I, what? Um, yeah, we've all, we've all done that. And we've all been in that situation where information is hidden in a lot of other information. And Mary's like, whoa, whoa, whoa stop talking about thrones and kingdoms and descendants. What was that first thing you said again? I'm going to conceive. I'm going to have a baby. And verse 34, how will this be? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Back up a moment. You're talking about thrones and kingdoms and descendants. I need to know about the first bit. How's that going to happen? And the angel, Gabriel, well, he's just too excited. He's like, uh, uh, you know, don't distract me with the how. God can do this. You know, it, it, how is, is it kind of easy for God? Let me tell you about the who. Let me tell you who this is. Let me, I want to tell you all about who's gonna, who, you, who you're going to give birth to. 
Um, but what the angel says is, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Again, he's going off into the who again. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child and her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive, she's in her sixth month. For, now this is great, verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. That's a great statement right there. No word from God will ever fail. God has said it, it's going to happen. We're talking about the hope of the world. We're talking about the thing that you, Mary, you and your ancestors have believed in, have expected. This is the Messiah you've all been waiting for. It's going to happen. The first act has finished. The interval has come to an end. The curtain is opening and you're part of this, Mary. Mary, you're going to be part of this. You are highly favoured. You have found favour with God. Now as I was kind of studying this and reading it, this, that statement about, about Mary being highly favoured kind of uh, challenged me a little bit. Okay? And I started to kind of think about Mary being highly favoured. And I wondered whether there were perhaps times when Mary didn't feel highly favoured. As I was reading it, I was thinking about, you know, sometimes you, you phone a call centre and you get that recorded message, your call is important to us. And we all know our call is not important to them. If it was important to them, they'd answer the flipping phone, right? Yeah, and the angel's telling Mary, yeah, Mark agrees with me. Thank you, Mark. The angel's telling Mary that she's highly favoured. And I was saying, I wonder if she felt highly favoured all the time. We know that the angel delivered this message to Mary and then went away. And there's no indication in any of the gospel writings that the, Mary, that the angel ever came back and spoke to Mary again. Her life plan had been massively interrupted. This wasn't just a little hiccup. This was a huge interruption of her life plan. And then the angel has gone. And I'm wondering, bear with me, I'm wondering if Mary was like, angel, angel, you said that I'm highly favoured. I'm going to get ostracised by my family. My family aren't going to understand this. And all my neighbours, what are they going to think? Angel, you sound highly favoured. What about Joseph? He's not going to want to be married to me. I'm being pregnant. Angel, Angel, what about my mum and dad? You say I'm highly favoured. They have every right to kill me for this. And we read that Joseph gets a visit from the angel in a dream and he accepts it and we move on. But none of the rest of the family do. The neighbours don't get a visit. The community doesn't get a visit. We, the local rabbi of the synagogue doesn't get a visit. Mary's left with this problem, really, that she's now pregnant. We know, because we can read it, that... It's divinely done. But nobody else is going to know that. Highly favoured? Angel, maybe you could just visit everybody and let them know what you've just told me. Yeah. And then, 
the next moment we read that Caesar Augustus, the uh, kind of Roman Empire, has decreed that uh, a census to be taken throughout the whole of the Roman Empire. And so Joseph, who is, uh, whose family is descended from, the t- from David, has to go back to the town of Bethlehem. And obviously he takes Mary with him. Mary, who is probably at this point maybe seven or eight months pregnant. And she's got to make this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is, uh, I kind of researched on this, about 120 miles. Lucy, how do you fancy riding a donkey for 120 miles? You're only four and a half months pregnant. Yeah, you wouldn't want to, right? Has anybody ever ridden a donkey on the beach at Blackpool? I have. It's not that comfortable, all right? And I know it doesn't say in Scripture that she rode a donkey. We kind of infer that because obviously walking wouldn't be much good either for an eight-month pregnant woman. You kind of wouldn't expect that. But either way, it's a horrible journey for somebody to have to make at that stage. Angel, Angel, you said I'm highly favoured. Could you not zap me there? I've got to make this journey in this condition. I'm pregnant with the Son of God. Surely I deserve a bit of special treatment here. I've got to ride this donkey all the way? Oh my goodness. Now we know uh, that they arrived in Bethlehem and they couldn't find anywhere to stay. And Joseph, who was descended from David, would have had, I'm pretty sure he would have had family in Bethlehem. But again, I'm kind of making assumptions here. They're not going to take them in. Why? Well, maybe because of Mary's condition. Yeah? Angel, Angel, you said I'm highly favoured. Could you not have booked a room? You knew this was going to happen. You knew I was going to end up here in Bethlehem, about to give birth. Angel, I'm not feeling highly favoured right now. I haven't got anywhere to give birth to, to this child. Angel, where's my midwife? Where's my hot water? Where's my blankets? Angel, it smells in here. Angel, it doesn't look very clean. Angel, you say I'm highly favoured, but this is not the setup of somebody I would consider to be highly favoured. And then Jesus is born, and we read that um, King Herod, uh, the guy who was uh, king of Palestine of the area, he is determined that his kingdom will never end. And he hears about this uh, Messiah being born because of the star and the, the wise men coming. And he's like, no, 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 no way. And so he orders that the soldiers go out and slaughter all the children around the town of Bethlehem under two years old. We don't really focus on that much in the Christmas story at Christmas. It's a little bit bleak, right? But it's there. It happened. Angel, angel, you didn't tell me I'd be running for my child's life having to travel another few hundred miles to go to a foreign country to live there, to get out, to get out there so my kids are not slaughtered. Angel, what about the children who didn't make it out of Bethlehem, who didn't get that note saying we had to leave? What about those families? Angel, if this is all part of God's plan, it's not making sense to me right now. And I'm not feeling highly favoured. <coughs> and then anyway, they eventually return from Egypt and... Um, they kind of make their home base back in Nazareth and um, Jesus grows up and he starts his ministry and uh, we all know what happened. Obviously, there's three years of ministry, but then just put yourself in Mary's shoes, standing 
outside the courtyard, listening to the sound of the soldiers torturing your child and then watching as they crucify him. You don't have the benefit of hindsight. You can't, you can't know what's going to happen. All you're doing is watching your child die. And I'm wondering, can there be any greater pain for a mother than that? Angel, angel, you said highly favoured. You said his kingdom would never end. Angel, my son, God's son, the son of the Most High, our Messiah. Angel, he's dead. He's dead. Of course, at the start, Mary doesn't know any of this. She's not aware of all the pain that she's going to have to go through in delivering the child and also later on as he dies. And she doesn't know about the joy she's going to experience when her son is resurrected and everything starts to take shape and make sense. And the joy, she doesn't know about the joy she's going to experience on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. And we see this, the, and she sees there, and she's there for the birth and the amazing growth of that early church. She doesn't know any of that. And looking back, we can read the Bible, we can read all the way through, we can read the whole story, and we can see, from our perspective, why Mary is called highly favoured, having, having carried the Son of God, God Jesus, who was crucified for our sins, but then rose again and ascended to the Father. How favoured is she? But Mary doesn't know that. All she had was this short message from the angel, right at the start. Ain't Mary... You are highly favoured. You're going to have a child, the Son of God. No word from God will ever fail. Paul, writing a letter to the Ephesians, uh, wrote, writes a similar thing in a slightly different way. Ephesians chapter 1, he says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan, the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God had a plan. It was detailed. It was perfect. It was a wonderful plan. It was prepared well in advance. And he was waiting, waiting for the right time to set this plan into motion. God's plan was worked out but he didn't share it all with Mary. He just told her the start, you're going to have this baby conceived by the Holy Spirit and he's going to be the Son of God. And Mary's response is amazing. And this is why Mary is one of my heroes, because of this next verse, which is just brilliant. And if you take nothing else from what I'm saying today, I hope you take on board this, what Mary says. And I pray that it becomes our response to God's plan for our lives. Mary had no idea how the plan would take shape, but she says this in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. No word of God that ever fails. May it be to me according to your word. I don't know the end from the beginning. I don't even know the middle. I don't even know what the next step is. 
But God, I trust you and I trust in your plan. And Lord, may it be to me according to your word. Not according to my plan, but according to your word. This is such an amazing statement of belief and believing exactly what Paul writes, that God is going to work out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And I said right at the start how there's various words, belief and faith and trust and hope, they're all kind of connected with the original Greek root word. And the word faith is a word that we hear a lot in church, the word faith. And um, I was reading something by uh, a great uh, speaker called Andy Stanley, and uh, he's talking about faith and he writes this, perfect faith is not faith that moves God. Perfect faith is faith that moves us to trust God when it doesn't seem like he's involved. And I think we can often think that we, we'll have our plans and we have an idea of what our ordered life should look like and we think that if we have enough faith then we can get God to arrange things according to our plan. No, 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 that's not, that's not faith. That's not, that's not this perfect faith that we're talking about here. Perfect faith is faith that moves us to trust God when it doesn't seem like he's involved. When we're in those dark places, when the plans that we thought were going to happen aren't and we're disappointed, it's happened to all of us. You might be in that place right now in your life where you've got uh, disappointments going on and the plan is not working out as you expect. Well, this is where our faith kicks in because our perfect faith will move us to trust God, trust that his word will never, ever fail. His word will never fail. And we read in Jeremiah uh, 29, verse 11, that he uh, he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to bring you harm. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's the promise, and we can put that to the bank. You know that. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It doesn't always work out in the way we expect. It doesn't always work out in our timing. In fact, it rarely does. Um... And it definitely doesn't always work out for our, our kind of uh, physical comfort and our prosperity. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us trusting that God's plan will come to fruition. Wherever we're in, whatever stage we're in right now, whatever um, difficult or you know, uh, troublesome circumstances we're finding ourselves in, we trust and we have faith and we believe that God's plan will work out for good in the end. So, this Christmas, as we kind of go about all our celebrations, let's not get so wrapped up in what we've planned and what we've designed and that we miss out on the fact that we can believe that God has got a plan for us. God has a plan for us. God has a plan for each of us. And we can trust him to deliver on that plan. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word.